0: The reading this morning is taken from the book of Mark, starting at chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and it's very nice to see you all and today we're beginning a new sermon series and it's called Discoveries That Changed Life for Good and I want you to join with me in praying now before I kick off, let's pray Father God, we thank you for the scriptures and as we look into the scriptures together today we pray you'd have a chance to influence us chance to capture our thoughts and to lead us close to Jesus. Lord we want to be trained to follow you we want to be fruitful for you and we want you to show us the way we should go so come and help us in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to be using Mark's gospel over the next few weeks for these discoveries. A few years ago, I actually uh, made a disconcerting discovery about a number of my close friends. I found it very disconcerting, you may not. And this was the discovery. They had something called personal trainers. That that didn't mean that they owned a pair of shoes that was their own. It, It meant they had coaches. I found the whole idea incredibly intimidating. But nevertheless, they thought it was a good thing. And as I was preparing this talk, I thought, well, in some ways, in every way, actually, uh, as your vicar, I am your spiritual trainer. I am your spiritual life coach. And if you think of being someone's spiritual life coach, where would you begin a coaching session? well I can tell you it's very easy to know where to begin I would begin exactly where the Gospel of Mark begins which is with these words the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God here's the focus and any kind of Christian spiritual trainer would want to lead you into the presence of Jesus now that's not new news to most of you present I feel sure And if you happen to be here as someone searching for a spiritual reality, stick with it. Well done for turning up. Because week by week, we do look at Jesus, who he is, what he does. But the majority of people sitting here this morning have already made that discovery. And so, as your coach, the question is this, really. How can we draw close to him? How can we stay close to him? How can we know him better and become more like him and bear fruit for him? every day, every week every month on and on and on and of course it's helpful to know that we're not the first generation to try and crack this people have been trying to draw closer to Jesus for years and years and years so there are good habits to be learnt from them and I've got a very very simple message today well nearly every time I speak it's a simple message easy to say but harder to do But the first thing I want to say is how you start the day matters. How you start the day really does determine to a very large extent how the rest of the day is going to go when it comes to getting closer to Jesus or getting more distant, becoming more like him or becoming less like him. One of the tactics of any enemy in warfare is to try and mess up communication. Deliberately, a kind of deliberate interference. And around us, around you and me, every day are lots of competing voices claiming your attention and trying to muffle the voice of Jesus. Recently, I've noticed a new phenomenon, and you can notice it too. Any time you get on the London Underground, it seems to me uh, this is pretty present, but you don't have to go on the Underground. You could just go and people watch in Sloan Square or pretty much anywhere. And it's the observation of what I want to call the total zombie. The total zombie has earbuds in the ears and is constantly listening to some kind of message, good or otherwise, or music, uh, to block out surround sound. And then to complete the picture, they're staring with their eyes at some kind of screen. Uh, Whether there's anything on it or not, I don't know. And often it's a habit just to blot out the kind of embarrassment of not knowing where to look and what to do. And I use that very unflattering picture because actually, for us, people who want to follow Christ, if we don't watch it, we are the total zombie. We're distracted by noise that overtakes the voice of Jesus. And we see everything with a distorted vision that makes it hard to see a way ahead. To have a fighting chance of running a good race in the long term, we need to start the day well. And here's here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. We can't just assume that we'll let life run its course and the day will pan out okay. Because... When you don't decide intentionally what to do with your time, it just gets filled. It just happens. There's a quite clever and witty little law called Parkinson's Law which says that work expands to fill the time apportioned to it. But it's not just work that expands. Children expand to fill the time apportioned to them. Sleep expands to fill the time apportioned to it. So does cleaning, earning, procrastinating, daydreaming, and sermons. They they all expand to fill the time apportioned to them. So if you don't work out how you're going to spend your time, if I am not intentional about it, it will just go. It will just be filled. Tucked away in Proverbs 34 is a little witty proverb, and it goes like this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber. You just can't leave things to run their own course because you're not automatically, and nor am I automatically, going to get closer to Christ. Now, as I prepared this talk, and often reflect, what would I think of a talk I'm giving if I was one of the ones listening to it rather than the person giving it? I immediately felt uncomfortable about the way this talk was going. Because I felt one of the things I really don't like is people telling me how to spend my time. I, I'm kind of allergic to it. My diary is my diary, and I don't want you writing in it. Thank you. And plenty of people want to. And, and they will tell you if you do this, that, and the other, life will improve disproportionately. Uh, you know, I've had so many people tell me this, so have you over time. You know, the, the dentist tells me to floss my teeth. It, a lot of them are health issues. (laughs) The the, uh, optician tells me I have to put eye drops in morning and evening. There was a time when the golf pro told me I had to practice golf. And and the piano teacher told me I had to practice the piano. And and there simply isn't time for all of this. So how are you going to, how have I actually decided what to fill my day with and what not to fill my day with? I basically need convincing that the things someone's trying to put in my diary are worth it. Because if I'm not convinced the things they're trying to get me to do are worth it, I just won't do them. So, friends, I don't do piano practice. I don't do golf practice. I don't think they're worth it where I'm at in life. But if Jesus were to tell me things that I could do with my life to draw me closer to him, I would want to do them. Because that's got to be the soundest investment ever. And that's what we're going to look at. It's actually from this little passage three things that he decided to do with his life because he thought it was a sound investment. And later on in the sermon series we might look, well we will look in more detail at one or two of them. And the encouragement I can give you before I crack into them is they're all attainable. This is not rocket science and probably it's a revision course for most of us. But I need poking from time to time to be reminded to do what I already know. I've been walking with Christ now for over 40 years and quite quickly I discovered it's not new knowledge I need. I've got stacks of knowledge about Jesus. So have you. It's learning to do what you already know that makes a difference between an effective disciple or a rubbish disciple. So forgive me if some of this or all of it is like revision for you. The question is, are you doing it? Am I doing it? Here we go then. The first thing that Jesus did, which is instructive for us, is he retreated before he advanced. Retreat before you advance. Jesus chose to go into the wilderness first. He he went to a place where he could focus and give God his attention. And before we're fit to do anything, we have to make a decision to collect ourselves. Get somewhere where for most of us it's going to be a decision to turn off the phone, to be alone, to be able to focus. Get away from Facebook or emails or the newspaper or whatever it might be. Because all of us have got so many things screaming for our attention but the very first thing to do is to seek God out the very first thing is to make sure we're on track with God to open an account with him afresh for the day to check our bearings with him and you might say well you would say that wouldn't you and of course the answer is yes I would say that you know what kind of a leader would I be if I didn't say that if you want to follow the Lord you've got to be close to him now I have children they are grown up now so they don't now in their 30s get me out of bed at crack of dawn and I I look around and I can see some of you are thinking but you don't understand Rupert my day starts with this 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 and this and this demand yes it probably does but even so the moment you open your eyes you can invite Jesus to be close to you and tell him that as far as you can you want to be close to him and Jesus was baptized in the wilderness and while we don't know exactly what that what was going on we have a pretty good idea because scripture unpacks some of the symbolism and at least two things were going on number one when they baptized people in a river and you went under the water you were being cleansed and number one every day we do actually need to ask Jesus to cleanse us of our shortcomings to to allow him space to tell us where we have turned away from him You know, I look into our congregation and I can see that very many of us are not young, young. And I can see, that, and I'm guessing, that very many of us hold positions of responsibility. Very many are parents, and the older you get and the more responsibility you have and the more senior you are, the fewer people can actually speak into your life with honesty and accuracy. So correction becomes more and more and more interesting and more and more vital as you get older and more senior. And God will always be willing to speak into your life if you ask him. And part of restoring a relationship with him is part of what going under the water was all about. It's asking him to cleanse us. And we need to make space for that. Doesn't need to take ages, but it needs to happen. And, and not only were he is it symbolic of being cleansed? It's also when you go under the water symbolic, I think, of handing over control. You know, we probably all had the experience either in a swimming pool where you just walk out of your depths or in the sea where there's a difference when you're ground, your feet are on the ground or when you're actually being held up by the water. And I think Jesus in being baptised is symbolising I, I want to hand over control to you, Father. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, to use an old-fashioned word, surrender to you today and ask you to be in charge. And you might say, can't this go without saying, well, it could, but it, it's better to say it. it. It's better to let Jesus know you want him to guide you today. C.S. Lewis puts this all really well and as I can't improve it, I'm just going to read you what he says. The real problem of a Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it It comes at the moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job every morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view and letting the other stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on, all day. Standing back from all your natural fussing and fretting, coming in out of the wind. We can only do it for moments at first, but from those moments, a new sort of life will be spreading through our system, because now we're letting him work at the right part of us. It's the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and the dye or stain, which soaks right through. So I'm saying retreat before you advance, and kneel before you get up. And then I see that as Jesus did these things the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. This is something we need. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit's empowering. We need his guidance. And this is what God promises us. Jesus said, to the disciples, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him because he lives with you and he will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And in the quietness of our heart, every day, we need to make space to ask God for this. In our car, which isn't a particularly flashy car, it, it has a gizmo so that when I look at the dashboard, it, it tells me how much, how many miles I got left in the car before the fuel runs out. We don't have a dashboard that flashes at us that tells us how many miles we got in the tank before the Holy Spirit runs out. And, and many has been the casualty that I have met who have just become parched, worn out, dry as a because they've been laboring and laboring and laboring for Christ without asking the Holy Spirit to come and fill them afresh we don't want to get into that state we need, like Jesus to ask the Holy Spirit to come and anoint us and help us many years ago now uh, when I was in the congregation of St. Michael's I would have been in my early twenties I remember going to the vicar uh, who was a lovely man called Teddy he was a very warm, friendly character um, he was in his 60s uh, I thought he looked as old as God but now I'm in my 60s I've revised my opinion uh, and I remember asking him um, would you pray for me to be filled with the spirit and he prayed a prayer which I will share with you and I've been puzzling over this prayer ever since so we, we knelt somewhere at the, at the front of a church and a lovely, lovely, warm gregarious, friendly chap very godly and he's, this is what he prayed. He said, um, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. Those are Winston's words, Lord, and we claim them for Rupert. Which has left me confused for a very long time because we don't normally claim Winston Churchill's words uh, in God's name. But I think the theology was perfect. The theology was saying, Lord, we can't accomplish a thing without your Holy Spirit's help. We can't do anything valuable for your kingdom without your Holy Spirit's help. And we need to make that our prayer daily. Daily. How's it going so far? How's this comparing with how you spend your mornings? Let me let you into a secret. And it probably is no secret. You probably guess this. My quiet times are as pedestrian as your quiet times. Every day I try and do this. But not every day is a corker. And I share that with you because many years ago I was listening to a talk on prayer and I was so relieved when this preacher said that he'd been praying every single day. He had a a time set aside to be with God, to do all this stuff, to surrender, to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And he said about two or three times it was as if the room had lit up and the presence of Jesus was super real but he said the majority of time it's just plonk along praying the majority of time it's little by little by little just trying, trying, trying and surrendering but he said but I'm going to do it today and I'm going to do it tomorrow and I'm going to do it the next day until the day that I'm called to heaven because that might be the third time that Jesus reveals himself in a super amazing way and I want to encourage you to do the same because also there's another mystery about this candidly, you may feel that your time of prayer and your time of quiet is rubbish. That qualitatively, it's really pretty dull. That's what I felt when I was praying early this morning about my own. But the mystery is that cumulatively if we do this reliably day by day by day by day, something mysterious happens and we get strengthened and we become more at home in God's presence and I suppose it's not difficult for me to imagine that in the heavenly realms even in my worst quiet time they're able to say to themselves oh look there's Rupert he's seeking us again ah oh, pity he's got the attention span of about two seconds but he, at least he's trying and 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 he's here and look he's reading a word Jeremiah he doesn't understand a bit of it does he but he's still trying and revelation's been beyond him for years but he's still at it there there is something gained by when we want to approach God with that kind of hunger and my third point is, is this let this sink in before you go out and it comes from Mark chapter 1 verse 11 and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love With you I'm well pleased. Now memorising verses and references might not be your thing. But there'll never be an easier reference to memorise than Mark chapter 1 verse 11. If I was a bingo caller I think I'd be saying you know all the ones. Mark chapter 1 verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You're my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Now which of us doesn't like it when our parents have looked us in the face and said... You're my child who I love and I'm really happy with you. It'd be wonderful to have that in your memory bank. It'd be wonderful. And we should have it in our memory bank because that is exactly what God said over you and me. Now you might say, hang on, that's a bit far-fetched. I can see why he would say that over his son, Jesus, but do we have any right to claim that promise for ourselves? And I want to say absolutely you do. I do. I do because we're told so many times in scripture that that's what it means to be a follower of Christ it means to be adopted into his family to have the rights of a child if you don't believe me believe the apostle John himself to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God or in John's first letter how great is the love for fathers lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are and the significant thing is or one of the many significant things you might have noticed here is this affirmation comes to Jesus before he's done anything he he hasn't healed anyone at this point he hasn't given a sermon all he's done is is trek into the wilderness and before he's done a, a thing God speaks affirmation and love into his life now you're a theologically educated lot so it doesn't come as a surprise when I say that God loves you unconditionally and in an unlimited way and forever but the trouble is with those truths it's so easy to say it needs unpacking what it means is God will never love you more than he does now And he'll never love you less than he does now. Irrespective of what you do this week or what you haven't done last week. God loves us to bits. That's why he sent his son to die for us. To show you how much he loves us. And he wants us to start every day knowing this. Before we go out, before we go out, we need to be confident about this. Let this sink in before you go out. God actually loves you and he's for you and I find it so helpful that this isn't the only time that God spoke this into Jesus's life it's fascinating in Matthew's gospel in his account of the transfiguration when Jesus is told more clearly they're discussing his departure his death on the cross and then again God speaks exactly the same words this is my beloved son who, with whom I'm well pleased. But adds, listen to him. And there will be times when we need to reconnect with that very, very simple message from God. God saying, I love you and I'm pleased with you. He wants us to know that when life is going well. He wants us to know that when life is going badly. He wants us to know that when we've had a good day and a bad day. I love you says the Lord sometime ago, I remember reading a book about prayer and coming across this I always begin my day with a good season of prayer in fact I pray until I can't pray anymore then I take my Bible and read until I can't read anymore and after that I take my hymn book from the shelf and I sing until I can't sing anymore and then I just sit quietly and let God love me well that's the bulk of my message i'm very nearly through and if you do those things that i've been talking about this will set you up for a good day a day where you will get to know jesus better and you will walk closer to him and if we all do that every day we will become an on fire church which will be marvelous why not bring it on but i would like to conclude the sermon to say and then the sun will come out and the wind will be behind and trouble will not come our way and we'll all be honky dory with big smiles on our faces but I can't because that isn't actually what the scripture teaches even in this chapter what happens to Jesus immediately after this marvellous encounter he was led by the spirit into the desert and he's tempted and opposed by Satan so I need to be frank with you and tell you that the moment you set out to live a godly life like I've been describing that's the moment you become a beacon and your light shines brighter and brighter and people will be drawn to you and you will have opportunities to share your faith but because you shine brighter and brighter you will also attract opposition too and there will be times of conflict and life will not go smoothly because spiritual warfare is real and what we have to discover is what Jesus discovers here is that blessing and buffeting goes on at the same time. They're like twin tracks. It's like how a train goes on, resting on two rails. I used to think you had seasons where everything looked great and seasons where everything looked rubbish, but it isn't like that, they merge. There's a constant conflict, there's a cross and a crown, and they go together hand in hand. That's what life is like as we reclaim God's kingdom. But it's progress. (laughs) When you start every day seeking the Lord, when we start every day surrendering to the Lord, when we start every day saying, Holy Spirit, come and help, when we start every day knowing that God loves us through and through, we're ready for a day of drawing close to Christ. Let's pray.